Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. 30 years ago, Rob Reiner's much-beloved film Stand By Me was released. In that time, it has developed a reputation as a childhood-defining movie revered by adults who identified with the nostalgia for life in the 50s and by children who resonated with the honest, if not sad, depiction of the struggles of growing up. This is a movie I've loved for a long time, but Ryan has somehow made it this long without even seeing it. Stand By Me earned over $50 million at the box office and even earned an Oscar nomination for its screenplay adapted from a Stephen King short story. But... As Nate alluded to, the movie has lived on mostly as a movie championed by people who grew up watching it or have some other sort of emotional connection to it. Its influence can be seen in many uh, coming-of-age movies in the last 30 years, including this year's huge hit Netflix series Stranger Things. But is this actually a movie worth standing by? Or is this whole movie just one big barf-o-rama? Keep listening. tonight i mean if you tell your folks we're gonna tent out my backfield yeah i think so except my dad's kind of on a mean streak you know he's been drinking a lot lately you got you man sincerely you won't believe this can you gordy yeah probably so what are you pissing and moaning about verno i knock what you liar you ain't got no pad hand you didn't deal with yourself no pad hand make your draw shitty <laughs> you guys want to go see a dead body all right, and so with that question, it kicked off it all. That's everything. That, that's everything. That's it. That is uh, Jerry O'Connell as Vern in mm-hmm. the movie that we are discussing today, Stand By Me, asking the guys, want to go see a dead body. And the short story Stephen King wrote that the movie is based on is actually called The Body. The Body, yeah. yeah so it's there, all so right there. It's right? all right like there. Like we said, <laughs> there's, uh, didn't need, need to say that. No. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry for saying that. I so, actually, for some reason, that that line's so famous, I thought it was the first line of the movie, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know why I thought it was the first line of the movie. Yeah. Well, it's because it was a famous line, and you hadn't seen every this other, movie. Every other movie's famous line is the first line of the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I kind of, that's actually, I think, a really, it would be a really good first line. Want to see a dead body? Yeah. Yeah. I is want, that the first line of Boys in the Hood? Well, it's in Boys in the Hood. Like remember, right we talked that. about that. Yeah, we did. We did. We talked about how that was just a weird, really quick reference to Stand By Me. I don't yeah. think it's the first line in that movie, though. No. So, Ryan, I know you talked about it quite a bit in the intro about why we're talking about this um, yeah. movie. 30 years old. Uh-huh. Um, but I think another big reason we wanted to talk about it was it was made in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And we were made in the 80s. We were made in the 80s. <laughs> It's a nostalgia movie. Right. There's tons of nostalgia in it. Yeah. And uh, right now we are experiencing... The hit of the season. The hit, yeah, crazy how big this show got on Netflix. Yeah. This uh, Stranger, Stranger Things. Things, which is a show about... Set in the 80s. Set in the 80s. For, it's kind of like, I'm wondering, is this sort of like what Stand By Me was to the baby boomers? Is Stranger Things going to be like yeah. that to us. to us? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely can see it being that. I mean, it gets the era so right, but more importantly, it gets the filmed Spielberg version of that era right. right. It it's what we all wish the '80s had been for us. I think, whether or not like it actually was, yeah, I think we all wanted our houses to be like a Spielberg family house, right? 
it's not so much 80s as it is 80s through Spielberg's eyes. Right. Yes. Which is how we want to remember the 80s. It's that glossy image of the 80s. Yeah. Like like we were talking about with, um, what episode was that? Well, it was L.A. Confidential. We were talking yeah, about the it. 50s right. there. How uh, 30 years later is when you've got the glossy view, yeah. and 40 years is when you've got the, the dark view. So of, we haven't gotten there certain, yet. You know, the, the dark we're time in the glossy the view. But what I was going to ask you, before we jump into Stand By Me, which we will do, I promise. Okay. But uh, in, I was actually going to bring up that L.A. Confidential episode because uh, you had really talked a lot about how you felt we were getting nostalgia all wrong, yes. you know, with like all the reboots mm-hmm. and full fuller house. And, uh, and we, 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 we went on a bit of a rant on there, I think a little yeah, bit about yeah. that, but in a good way. Yeah. And I'm wondering if now is this sort of like uh, redeeming that this idea? Is, for yeah, you? this is what I, I think stranger things is nostalgia done right. And um, so, and so can you define, I guess, what you mean by that exactly? Well, because it's building off of that, that Spielberg eighties, but it's doing something completely new with it. Yeah. You know, it isn't just rehashing. Um, it's not E T or Right. Right. E- <laughs> That's e- coming though. I'm sure. E or T. E or T. <laughs> Extraterrestrial. <laughs> uh, right. It, it's a, it's a very original story. It, it's used influences from, like since the 80s stranger things takes influence from like you know x-files and even older like twilight zone mm-hmm. and maybe um, a little Twin bit of lost Peaks. even and yeah. I, yeah i haven't seen lost but if you saw it there then i'm sure that I, I could see it a little bit yeah a little bit like a little twin peaks and you know using nostalgia as a base rather than as the end mm-hmm. for me it's like what freaks and geeks did yeah it's freaks and geeks was you know set in, in 1980 but it definitely wasn't just references to 1980s bands and TV shows. Okay. And I'm sure we'll get into how Stand By Me fits in with all of that as well sure. as we get into the movie. So let's let's dive into it. Okay. Um, you haven't seen, never saw this movie. Right. So you don't really have much of a, of a background. No, I really to. don't. I mean, I know it wasn't even until I was older that I knew people talked about it. Older as in like... Uh, like college? Tw- yeah. I mean, I knew it was a movie, but yeah. like... As like a movie that people like, you know, really loved. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. It doesn't get like crazy talked about like no. a lot of other movies do. It's almost like when it comes up, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I really, I like, really like that movie. movie. Yeah, or it almost comes up as like a given reference that everybody will know. Sure, yeah, like yeah. everyone's seen that. So. Yeah, like it's got a very Stand by Me feel sort of thing. Like, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, and and so as I said in the intro. Um, this was a movie that I kind of grew up with, although on the rewatch, I realized I had seen this a couple times, but I don't think I'd seen it as much as maybe I thought I saw it. Like I hadn't seen it as much as oh, like really? I saw Jurassic Park or like, you know, sure. even like the Lion King or something like that. <laughs> you know, those were movies that like we owned and I watched crazy stand by me. I remember I didn't see it. Uh, well, I, I, I would hope my parents wouldn't take me to go see it, you know, when I was a kid. Yeah. Cause I would be th- three years old. <laughs> But this was a, a movie that I was actually exposed to actually at um, like a friend of the family's house. Uh-huh. Um, like often my mom would have this friend of the family watch us. Uh, and I was probably like maybe around like 10 years old, you know. Yeah. And I remember uh, I think she just wanted us to watch a movie for the afternoon or something. And they had Stand By Me. And I think I picked it out. I didn't even know what it was. But we watched it. And I just remember when I watched it the first time, 
it was one of those first movies I watched where there were things that happened in it, but it didn't have like a lot of plot points necessarily, but it was still keeping me interested. And I kind of feel like it was one of the first movies like that for me, Uh you know? And I just remember like really thinking it was funny and really feeling like these kids were very real to me. And then I rewatched it uh, years later as I was no longer anywhere near that age. And I still thought that it held up really well. Uh So over the years, I've watched it a couple times, just once every few years or so. And I've always thought it held up really well. Yeah. Yeah. It surprises me how many people remember it as a movie from their childhood because it is rated R. Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's not a hard R by any means. It's almost like a technical R rather than anything else. But I don't know how I would have taken it if I were a child. Well, I remember uh, also there being this sort of, because they were doing things like smoking and swearing and things like that, that there was an element of like danger, kind of like, should I be watching this? That was kind of fun as a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. but then they were your age. Yeah. Just swearing and smoking and talking. Yeah. Honestly, like I talked at school, you know, felt fresh, even though, even when I had seen it, the movie was already, you know, at least five or six years old. So, um, yeah, I mean, if we want to bring in the letterboxed ratings until you obviously don't have a rating, I don't, uh, we can get into what yours is uh-huh. for the first time for me. I had this as a, a five star rating. It's, really? It's just on, I mean, it's just one of my sure. favorites, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there are... If, if We've you're, almost like established the precedent that you can't debate a five-star. Because <laughs> it's like, sorry, that's just what I feel. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, and if it's got that... It. It, there are just certain movies that they're part of your core. You could pick it apart if you wanted to, but it'd be very hard to yeah. not go with your gut and just say, this movie is kind of defining for me. So it's got to be five stars. At least that's what it was. So on your watch, and I'm completely open to whatever... <laughs> I'm interested for actually in in a you know someone watching this in their 30s for yeah. the first time. Well, at the risk of uh you know making it seem like I've got some arrested development issues. Uh, I I would put this at a 4 star. I really oh, I really did enjoy it. Good. I thought it was uh yeah, I thought it was a really good movie. Sorry if anybody was looking for a fight. <laughs> I was I was like preparing for it. To be honest, because yeah, I didn't well, know how you, you would feel. We have, a, we have a friend who watched it recently and didn't, yeah. wasn't impressed. And I never really, I never asked really for exactly why. So I don't know. Well, yeah, you don't ask people things like that unless you're recording a <laughs> podcast with them. So. Right. <laughs> but, um, but I was preparing for um, yeah. a bit of disappointment. This goes all the way back to even our Sandlot episode, I which you were going to bring that up, which you did rewatch and end up liking. I think at least a little bit on our episode. Um, you liked the Sandlot, I remember. <laughs> okay. You don't remember that? Well, I mean, I remember I, I liked it more than I remember liking it. Maybe? Yes, you just moved a little towards the positive side of the scale. That's yeah. all. And so, but what I was saying like, is I that you're to show my son the Sandlot. Though. What's that? I don't like. I'm not like marking the Sandlot as a movie. I'm going to show my son. All I'm saying is I was getting ready. <laughs> I was getting ready for disappointment because I knew that your initial reaction to the Sandlot was pretty negative. And I yeah, thought, but yeah. this is not the Sandlot. Oh, I know. <laughs> but I didn't know if it was a genre thing or if it was that specific film. No. That's what I'm not, what yeah. I wasn't sure of. If I mean, you had sort of a... Weird. 1950s nostalgia, I hate it. I'm not watching those movies. <laughs> More coming of age okay. is what I was getting oh, at. Oh, Because Christmas Story also. Okay. That age group, that sort of 10 to 12 year old. I was getting ready. True. I guess I do have a history 
I don't think that you're you're right in what the the, the triggers are. <laughs> the ten year olds, twelve year olds, right. <laughs> if it's I a mean, movie around, maybe that. I do need to go. Maybe maybe that is something I need to like examine. Like why why I would have an aversion to reliving my ten to twelve year old <laughs> life. It's, it's but, a hard age. I oh, think, it's for boys. terrible. It's but a, um, especially uh, whatever. Um. I don't want to but dig yeah, those movies no, back up necessarily. Yeah, but no, I, I guess I can see why you would be why you would be nervous. But I feel like I I have proven myself to be more or less thoughtful and fair. Yeah. in my examination of movies, <laughs> not writing off an entire age group, <laughs> right? <Was laughs> as a movie as about source material, <laughs> kids in the nineteen fifties, forties to fifties, age ten to twelve, not my thing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. good. I'm glad. I'm glad I've already put you on your on on the back little, foot yeah and i might actually i don't know i might surprise you a little bit by saying it on the rewatch and i know this half star isn't going to mean anything really to most people but i think i'm actually going to bump it back a little bit well, to it a is four a big and a half. thing to drop yeah. something from a five it's a big thing to move something to a five yeah in yeah. the world of can we still be friends it is in this world that we discuss here yeah five stars is usually pretty much like a permanent thing yeah. you know yeah like the, it but, is but i i i think on this rewatch I think I'm more comfortable at a four and a half now. Yeah. So. Well, let's uh, let's let's okay. get into it a little bit. Well, first off, the thing that surprised me about the movie is it's so much sadder than I expected it to. Mm. It's just heavy when you think about it, but it doesn't necessarily feel heavy. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I really had no idea. I kind of thought the way people talked about it that it was. I, I didn't think it was funny because I knew about the whole you want to see a dead body thing sure. and all that. I didn't think I was in for like a laugh riot, but um, I thought it would be at least more lighthearted than it is, but it also isn't really like maudlin and, and depressing. You would think that it would be more positive given how people talk about it because they have such a fondness for it. Right. And you could almost say the same thing about another Stephen King adaptation and Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. where that's also a very sad movie in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but people just have a, a spot they love that it. they love it you know yeah. that there's just a, there's something about it that they love and that they will rewatch over and over again even though it's got these very sort of sad right elements, elements. and characters yeah. And, yeah but it's also uplifting in its sadness not like uplifting in spite of its sadness and not like uplifting after the sadness i think that its sadness is uplifting Especially being a new father, having a, you know a four month old son, and thinking about him growing up, and thinking that like these boys still had a good time mm-hmm. <laughs> in spite of everything, like, yeah. And they grew up to care about people, and they had people in their life that they cared about, even though their home lives being terrible, they found their friendship, mm-hmm. and they found ways to love people and ways to be strong for other people. Uh, in spite of all that sadness. So it's sort of like as a father, and I might be bringing too much to this, um, like too much outside the text like to be interpreting it this way, but it was just like... We've it, never it had just, a problem with that on the podcast. No, though. but I have a problem. That's, that's <laughs> what I teach my students. I'm like, you can't bring your personal stuff to it. Um, but that's, this is different. Um, yeah, I just... I, it really moved me that these boys could be so strong and positive and have fun with all that was going on in their lives and all that they had weighing them down. Yeah. You know, I just didn't expect that to be a theme of the movie. 
but it's so important to the movie. I think that's what makes it more timeless. It's very sentimental, but it's so honest. Yeah. You oh, don't see that hardly ever. Real. And very authentic, even to the point where we're talking about how these boys all have a very difficult home life. Mm-hmm. And they're finding joy almost in each other. Yeah. And yet, the movie is honest about the fact that these are 12-year-old boys. Life goes on. The ending of the movie, it just basically says, like, we didn't really ever yeah, talk to Vern or Teddy ever again. Guys, really. And, um, you know... That happened in the Sandlot too, and I remember us saying that we appreciated right. that. And mm-hmm. I think the Sandlot that was actually just them stealing sure. from Sand Absolutely. by Me because in the Sandlot it doesn't quite—it's still effective, but it doesn't quite earn that emotional punch that you get with Stand by Me when no. you hear that, or just that that realism. And I also think you saw that uh, if it wasn't—I don't think it was ever really explicitly stated in Freaks and Geeks, but you get the sense that that would be the same kind of thing in that show too, where yeah. like it's just very honest about the relationships you have at that time. Mm-hmm. They are simultaneously the closest things you will ever have, and they seem so permanent, yeah, um, because those memories are so permanent, yeah. And yet life goes on, right? You know, people weave in and out of each other, yep. and it's very honest without you know making that the point of the movie. Yeah. As time went on, we saw less and less of Teddy and Vern. Until eventually they became just two more faces in the halls. It happens sometimes. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. I heard that Vern got married out of high school, had four kids, and is now the forklift operator at the Arsenault Lumberyard. Teddy tried several times to get into the army, but his eyes and his ear kept him out. Last I'd heard, he'd spent some time in jail and was now doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. You know, whether it's Stephen King in the mm-hmm. story or Rob Reiner in his direction, like yeah. they're being very honest about that time in your life, whether it is in the 50s or whether it's in the 80s or today. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right in saying that it, that's that's what makes the movie timeless. It's almost arbitrary that it was set in the 50s, except for the fact that like kids could spend a night out in the woods. Right. With a gun <laughs> and their parents didn't know about it. But everything else about it just the way they act like like you said it just they act like 12 year old boys yeah i don't know how it would be to be a, a woman and watch this and i don't know if you would feel because there, re- there really aren't female characters there's not even a single there's the mom right in like one scene i mean again like the same like, <laughs> yeah um, uh, well no because the sandlot has the whole windy peppercorn kind oh, of that's thing right, that's right, and that's it right. brings in that little element of sex to it that yeah. i think smartly stand by me just sort of or goes or goes i can say that i i've watched this twice now with my wife and she does like it yeah um so that's that's one woman's testimonial yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah i mean but, i'm not saying because yeah but i guess this the, doesn't feel like a boy movie right. though either true i just think there could be a critique made you know that there's no females in it but I think that this is specifically a movie about boy relationships and that it mm-hmm. very intentionally actually just keeps girls completely out of it. Yeah. Doesn't feel the need to have to bring some sort sort of side storyline in right. about girls, you right. know. And I think in a way that's true because I look at myself when I was 12 years old, yep. not junior high, not Right. Not high school. Not puberty. You couldn't get away with those kind of stories without girls, I think, at that point. But right. And it even says in the movie, this was before girls. Yep. Uh, there's like one little line in there that just says, it's when they're talking about the night and how yeah. they had these endless conversations, the kind of conversations that go away once girls come into the picture, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that that's so true. When I think of my 12-year-old self, I had two friends 
I don't know where they're at now. I've never, but we were so tight. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I think, what felt so real about it when I watched it that first time. Yeah. We wouldn't go wandering in the woods, but like we right. didn't have a whole lot to do. So we would just kind of, you know, find stuff to do yep. out of boredom. Yeah. And we didn't talk about girls, although we had a really big curiosity about sex. If girls were in the picture, there would be an obsession there, <laughs> probably, because yeah. that's that's what happens. Once girls enter the picture for boys, it's, it becomes an obsession. And this movie really needed to plausibly have them be obsessed with death, I think. Mm. And honestly, once girls enter the picture, like you don't even worry about death anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, it's all you think about for a while. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, death. <laughs> um but pretty much every character in this movie is obsessed obsessed in some form with death or feeling alive mm-hmm. or legacy even right like yeah. where where am i what am yeah. i going to what am i yeah. going to do in this world yeah you see it i mean Kiefer Sutherland's character with playing chicken with that mm. truck yeah they feel alive by like getting close to death and then you see the the effects of gordo's gordo Gord, gordy gordy you see the effects of Gordy's brother's death on his family, yeah, yeah. how that has affected the way his parents treat him, which then has affected everything about Gordy. I mean, that's just sort of a transition into how I wanted to talk about this movie is very much about death, um, which of course helps make it sad. Well, sure. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, but it's really interesting. It, not only is it, got that tone because it's in my mind so much about death it's just so sad to see boys that age Mm. so inextricably linked to and so frequently encountering death Mm -hmm. and I, i i wonder what the body meant to them when they're talking to each other they make it sound like they want to do this because they're going to be famous right but you do get the sense that that's not the real reason for any of them right i do yeah i do i do think that you could probably analyze some of the characters a little bit more deeply, even down to like Kiefer Sutherland and as to why they felt so adamantly that they needed to, to get the body. Hmm. Especially, I think, I feel maybe I'm putting too much on it, but I feel like that moment where Kiefer Sutherland plays chicken with the truck is yeah. like a huge moment for his character. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. Well, because honestly, it's like, why is... For, and actually, it's a fair question that I've asked before is why is that really in there? Mm-hmm. If this is so much about these four boys, it is sort of a detour. Why is that plot line in yeah. there at all? Yeah. Well, and even if that plot line is in there, it should it, you would think it's only in there as sort when of a race. Yeah, the, yeah, like a race to see who's going to get the body first. But they do take time yeah. in this movie to have this chicken scenario. And, and then, I, I don't think it's just to show the other car that he's that badass. Like, oh, no, no. This is like something's going on. You with like this guy. almost yeah. see it in his eyes, like he's if, got something to prove. Yeah. If he gets hit, he's fine. If he right. makes it, that's fine too. Right. But then you've got the, Teddy wanting to to dodge the trains. Mm-hmm. You've got like yeah. There's just all this. I don't know. Yeah. What I think is unique about it being set in the '50s as opposed to somewhere else is is this idea that this is these are boys who, um, their fathers probably most of them face down death right or had their legacy you know this is their fathers are like the greatest generation right their fathers are the ones who went through the depression then went into world war ii and teddy even talks about how his dad stormed the beaches of normandy yeah 
and he has that respect for his dad, even though his dad is like burnt his ear off and yeah, is yeah, like yeah. an alcoholic. And there's a lot of father stuff in this too, even though the fathers aren't really in the picture at all. Like, you know, Gordy, a lot of his insecurities come from the fact that he really doesn't feel like his father loves him, right. you know, and that his, his, his brother who has passed away is the one who his father actually loved a lot more and had a lot more faith in, and that Gordy's yeah. just sort of this loser kid he has that can write. I don't think that father dynamic is unique to any generation, but this no. you can see why in the 50s this would be a very heavy theme playing in a lot of boys' lives. Well, yeah, you know? actually, the, now that you say that, I think it's vital the movie was set in the 50s. Okay. Because <laughs> you've got a whole generation of people with an impossible standard to live up to. Mm, yeah. As evidenced by Gordy's never being able to live up to his brother's standard. Like it wasn't necessarily for Gordy, it wasn't his dad, but it's his brother. And his when his brother died, he lost his brother, but he also gained this burden that he yeah. was never ever gonna be able to bear to his father's satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to die, Chris? Why did Denny have to die? Why? I don't know. It should have been me. Don't say that. It should have been me. Don't say that, man. I'm no good. My dad said it. I'm no good. He doesn't know you. He hates me. He doesn't hate you. He hates me. No. He just doesn't know you. He hates me. My dad hates me. <laughs> he hates me. I'm no good. So... I don't know, maybe this movie is in large part about a generation of people who would be like, you know, 10 or 12 in the 50s, whose parents said outright or or implied, like, and what have you done that's so great, mm-hmm. you know? And then you've got protesting Vietnam. You've got, like, all the hippie stuff that they did, which to them was making their mark or whatever, sure. like that yeah. sort of thing. You mean because these are these boys who are 10, 12 now will grow up to then yeah, be, in part, the of the, 60s, be part of the, the uh, college counterculture. Yeah. And, yeah. and they talk about going to college and that mm-hmm. sort of thing in the movie. Like, that's a huge generational burden to bear. The fact that we call them the greatest generation... <laughs> it's kind of, all, it's all in there, right? That's it. Like, what? <laughs> okay, we said the greatest. So every generation after is obviously not the greatest. Yeah. And so what's their legacy? What's their mark? I think in, I think we're still wrestling with that. Well, we're still trying oh, yeah. to figure that out. I yeah. think so. But it took, what, Tom Brokaw to finally name them the greatest right. generation? <laughs> and that sort of illuminates the thought behind it. Mm-hmm. I think in a sense, everybody who was like born at the time that these boys would have been born had a broken home, essentially. Like, yeah ideologically and expectation-wise, how do you live up to the soldiers who fought in World War II mm-hmm. and the the people who built the war? You know, like right. you either were fighting or you were doing something back at home for it. And then what? So that my kid can watch TV and right. do like this stuff? Like, and just get into trouble. Yeah. And, yeah. I don't know. And it's almost like those boys were trying to see some shit. Yeah, exactly. And maybe we should get into this too. Um, For me, this movie could have been a disaster with the wrong cast. Mm -hmm. And the performances of 
every one of these boys is completely unforgettable yeah. to me. That cast, with working with Rob Reiner, even those very sad moments just feel so... They, they just ache, especially like... And, and maybe we should just talk about River Phoenix for a little yeah, bit. But yeah. that, to me, is the standout in, in the movie. And just the crying performance alone mm-hmm. that he gives... I think nowadays we actually have, I don't know what happened, but there are so many reliable child actors nowadays that Mm -hmm. it is not uncommon for a movie to just like have a kid kill it. Yeah. It's insane. Stranger Things. Yes, you're right. Those kids in Stranger Things are awesome. Yeah. And... There's just been like about a boy relied on a childhood, a child sure. Actor. Or uh, what was uh, you know when Neverland? Like there's just and True all these Grit movies. when that came out. Um, mm-hmm. Haley Steinfeld, yeah. Steinfeld, Steinfeld, and she carried that movie like crazy. Like yeah. I think that's a really recent thing. Like the last fifteen years, for some reason. Like, well, Haley Joel Osment maybe like started some revolution. Well, here's an and idea. You had Dakota Fanning, and now Elle Fanning, her yeah. sister's amazing, and like all this stuff. I don't know. But, but do you think, this is what I wonder, is do you think, because Stand By Me was such a sort of foundational film for so many people, do you think it sort of raised the bar and it said, you I really can't have kid actors who aren't good anymore? I think you it know? did, but I don't think, I think people thought it was an anomaly because you certainly didn't see a sure. trend after yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, I as much true. as you love Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. Those kids are awful. <laughs> yes, they are. In a loving way. Um. Yeah, but... You're right. I think actually one of the one of the most strangely heartbreaking scenes for me was when the train is coming and they're on mm-hmm. the bridge. Jerry O'Connell's face, yeah, is just so worried, real. Yeah, I mean terrified, yeah. not just worried. Like that is like the look of a kid who thinks he's going to die. I don't know if Rob Reiner really pulled a good performance out of him, or if he really made him think he was going to die, <laughs> or what. But like. That train scene, though, I've seen that mo- this movie, you know, close to 10 times. Even as it's coming up to that train scene, I get nervous. Yeah. Like, that scene is so well done yeah. that it always has suspense, even though you know exactly what's going to happen. And it always seems so razor close at the end. Yeah. <laughs> that, I think, is, uh, you don't get that, uh, and I'm not going to go into a whole, they don't make them like they used to thing, but... Yeah. The, they take a lot of time with like just him even putting his like ear to the track twice, you know, right. and like just pulling back frequently to show you the scale of the bridge before yeah. the train even comes. And yeah. the slowness, you, you saw this done also really well in like the Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. Shit! Move it, man! Go on, move it! Get up first! Get 
feel like we just don't. I'm sure it's there. There are movies that still do this now, but I don't see them as maybe not as much. In like the blockbusters yeah. so much. It would be relegated sort of to like an art movie, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, this movie does do a lot of little things really well, and taking its time is something that I guess I would I didn't expect out of it because it's a movie about going to see a dead body. So like that's the that's the movie there, mm-hmm. like, right? The dead body, and then but no, it's I mean obviously it's not. I was reading some review and they said that you could call it a coming of age movie or you could call it a road trip movie. And it's actually both, but it's a road trip movie unlike anything you've ever seen because the actual square mileage of it is very small and you don't normally see a road trip movie on foot. And this wasn't in the review, but it made me think that it's sort of a metaphor for it taking its time. You know, if you compare it to a lot of road trip movies where you can have just like, you know, you're in the fast car going down the highway, at least in certain scenes, and then they slow down for a little bit. This whole movie just has this pace to it because you're walking the whole time. And they even talk about that with the the Cobras. Yeah. And they're like, it's not fair. You got in a car and you got here. We walked this whole way, you know, that their journey, it seemed like it was such a frontier to these boys. And then it makes sense why the body would be at once underwhelming and at the same time completely significant and worth dying over <laughs> kind of like so that's it and then once somebody would come in and step in it's like you don't know what i went through for this <laughs> yeah i don't know i just can't shake that idea of being the children of the greatest generation it's really sticking with you huh yeah you know, then John Cusack's character almost becomes a very deep symbol. Just that ideal you'll never live up to. Mm-hmm. But also the death of the potential, you know? Yeah. And the disillusionment with what remains. You, you do kind of feel for his parents even because this was... Sure. This was, uh, this was, like, this was you know, especially if, if they are parents of that have gone through the Depression and World yeah, War II yeah. and stuff, and then they have this kid that they just pour everything into, and then... And was on his way. And was on his way, and it, everything looked bright, you know? Yeah. Um, and then to have that kind of yanked away from you. Yeah. While I do think those scenes are some of the most over-the-top scenes yeah. in the movie that are, at times, can be a little cringeworthy yeah. in their cliche. Um, yeah. Like, it made me think of the Dewey Cox yeah, movie, the like, the wrong, hard, the wrong kid, <laughs> the wrong kid died, died that day. And you could almost imagine that <laughs> dad actor... <laughs> Just yeah. saying that. And yeah. if he says something close to it, actually. Yeah, he but, said, you should have died. I don't well, know it's in his dream it. sequence, yeah. so it's what Gordy's interpretation yeah. is of that. But, <laughs> but... I got cut in half pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this isn't about Walk Hard, but... Uh, <laughs> That is, I like that movie. I do too, but it made me think. <laughs> no, of, I'm with you. But that's Walk Hard is really a movie that's just stacked with cliches, yeah. and he's, and this was definitely falling into that. The yeah. Stand by Me. These scenes when he with John said Cusack that too, and the dad. Like, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. You're right, though. It is his memory. Like maybe John Cusack wasn't that like angelically supportive sure. of him. There'd be some scouts at the game tomorrow. I don't know, Pop. Dad, can I have the potatoes? That's what I hear, son. Are you going to see Jane after the game? I think she's a lovely girl. Dad, can you please have the potatoes? Dorothy, don't talk to the boy about girls. Dad. You shouldn't be thinking about girls. This is the biggest game of his life. Dennis, when you're out there tomorrow... Pop, did you read the story that Gordy wrote? Gordy wrote a story. It was really good. What did you write, sweetheart? Now, see? That's what I'm talking about. Football takes concentration. You start in on the girls and his mind's all over the place. Dorothy, I don't know how many I really liked it. 
that's where it just gets to be a little too much sentiment, a little sappy. Yeah. And th- those those were just very, very minor things that kind of just stuck with me this time that I was sure. kind of like, maybe this movie isn't quite as perfect as I thought it was. Uh, yeah. Not enough to kind of make me change my whole view of what's really important about the movie. Yeah. Um, but the father stuff was almost a little too hammered yeah. down, you yeah. know? And, um, and maybe they were hedging their bets by making them dream sequences and saying, sure. well, no, this is a simplified child's interpretation. <laughs> but it is very much like, oh, uh, boy. I also, I don't know, it's not a problem. It's probably just my personal thing. Um, but I, I just, Teddy annoyed me. Hmm. I, I just sort of felt like when you've got River Phoenix and Will Wheaton being so understated and you've got Jerry O'Connell just seeming pretty realistic, Corey Feldman over there just hamming it up. Right. Um, war on me. Did he? I could see that. That's fair. I think it's a scene to scene thing. Like, um, there are other scenes I've seen no, there where are scenes yeah. in, in his, in his sort of pranking. I noticed one time, one thing this time I thought was a really understated thing of his. It's when, um, you know, they keep doing the two for flinching yeah. thing throughout, you know, and it's usually him getting Vern. And one time Vern actually gets him flint to flinch, Yeah, but then he punches, he punches him, him and he's like, Hey, I, I, you know, I, you flinched, you flinched. Like, and yeah. then just his like, it was a very subtle sort of smirk he had as he was walking away. I was like, yeah, that seems like, I don't know how you get that kind of performance out of a kid. Like they would just kind of walk away and be like, uh, yeah, have a little, I'm, I'm self-satisfied in what I just did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> um, and that was like a little touch, but you, you, I think when, I think what, maybe what you're getting at, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but when Teddy gets to hit every kids in that movie sort of has their sentimental moment. Yeah. And Teddy's probably doesn't come off uh the best compared to the other ones that you get, you know. No. Um like when when you get Teddy's breakdown. Junkyard. What's that? At the junkyard. At the junkyard. Yeah, that one is a little harder to take, I think. You break my old man. I wondered how Teddy could care so much for his dad who practically killed him, and I couldn't give a shit about my own dad who hadn't laid a hand on me since I was three. And that was for eating bleach under the sink. You raped my old man. Why do you care what a fat old pile of shit like him says about your dad? He still stormed the beach at Normandy, right? Forget it. You think that pile of shit was at Normandy? Forget it, all right? You don't know nothing about your old man. He's just dog shit. Whatever is between you and your old man, he can't change that. Forget it, all right? Just forget it. It almost doesn't seem believable with the character as much as the other ones. Right. Like, he'd be someone who wouldn't let that show. No, nah, I don't know. I, that's, it feels minor because, honestly, it's not like it derailed the movie or anything. Yeah. It's just, there were times where I was like, all right, let's move on. Yeah. I do think that he does carry a little bit more of the rough side of the 10 to 12-year-old age. Like, he's the one who's... Yeah. That's what's real about him, is like... Maybe I totally avoided kids like that, oh. but I did know kids <laughs> like that. Yeah. Like, like, oh, yeah, those are the kids I tried to get clear of. <laughs> one thing I wanted to, to talk about, the the number of lines in this movie that I can't tell if they came from Stand By Me or if they've just always been around... I don't know if you know what I'm getting at, but like there were just things that these boys said to each other. Like the little kid back and forth. Yeah. Things. I was just like, did stand by me? Like, was that new in stand by me? And yeah. because I was born after that, that's just like how we talked. It. And it, and we never knew it was a stand by me right. reference. Or are these things that have actually been around since the fifties? I'm thinking of like the two for flinching yeah. thing. I'm thinking of the so funny. I forgot to laugh. Uh huh. 
<laughs> I like the I don't shut up, I grow up, and when I look yeah. at you, I throw up. That's, like, yeah, that stuff felt like so. <laughs> I just remember those moments. Part of it was like why how you, you felt saying it, but also part of it was like if somebody said stuff to you like that, you're like, "Am I supposed to know that?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, why don't you tell me something I don't know? Yeah, like, that was another one. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a. Uh, there's a lot to talk about for the movie. I mean, yeah. there's death and there's legacy and there's masculinity. And there's apparently generational things that I wasn't even aware of <laughs> until you started talking about it. Um, but you're right. That's stuff that makes the movie very timeless. Yeah. Um, I think there's also um, even in the few scenes with Richard Dreyfus, there's the... Yeah. There's that nostalgia of like the yeah. sadness as he's writing this story. He is sort of recognizing that he's got his own kids and who knows what kind of things they're getting into. Yeah. And that, that boy, his son was with a friend, you know? Right. Um, it wasn't and, his two sons coming. Right. Out. It was, yeah. it was a friend and you, and just thinking about what that relationship must be like and that, that he can't as an adult, you're never really going to have a relationship like that ever again. Right. You know? Yeah. That's sad. It is, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't, it, it's, that's nostalgia. There's yeah. a tinge of sadness to it, but there's also just this sort of joy of remembering yeah. what was, you yeah. know? I kind of feel like we've said maybe everything we need to say. I feel <laughs> okay. a little bit bad. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm fighting a cold. So I'm kind of, although my voice does sound sexier, you're welcome for that. I feel like I'm dragging a little bit. I'm just like, eh, it's done. <laughs> no, I hear you. Okay. I think you, and it's going to sound great on the podcast. I can already very, tell. It's a great radio voice. Mm. I might even beef up the bass a little bit Please on, your, do. on your vocal. <laughs> Get those subs going in your car. Get that rumble. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, you know, I think we have kind of, you know, talked this to the point of, I think I've gotten all my stuff out. I was just curious, just a few questions I had. Okay. Um, I didn't know if you had like a favorite scene, like if you had one that really um, stuck with you. That's a good question. Uh, I mean, River Phoenix is like big emotional scene. Yeah. I, but I feel like his dad speech mm. was the one that really stuck with me because it was such a well-written scene. And so it just was so moving. Like, because because uh, Chris is so self-sacrificial in that moment, mm-hmm. like, no, I know, I know, I'm not going to be friends with you, but you need to move past me. Like, it, it was just another one that was very sad, yeah, but very uh, like life-affirming, sort of. I don't know. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, and it's funny that you mentioned that cause it's they do actually end up being the only ones that stick together. Go to college, yeah. And also, um, I think that that was a template that was copied in later coming of age movies where you have a movie about a group of boys or a group of girls, but it really centers on two. Yeah. You know, Sandlot. the Sandlot you had yeah. Benny and, um, the main the, character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, the, John Everyman. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Like. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name, but it's not important. No, it's um, not. But it's you, but it's that's me. another thing that's very smart. I think about just the, the design of this movie is yeah. it really does it really give us a focus. It, it focuses you in on that relationship between Chris and Gordy. And, yep. and it's, it's a really beautiful relationship. You yeah, know? definitely. So I could see why that scene would really, you know, yeah, it's sort of the culmination Yeah, because it's almost like, you know what Chris is getting out of it. He's friends with a good kid. Yeah. And then like, well, what's, wh- why would Gordy be friends with him? Yeah. Like it's, that's another reason this movie I think stands out. 
is you've always had like <laughs> the Sean and Corey friendships. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And, and what what does the what do the Corys get out of it other than you know maybe a living a little vicariously through their sure. friend? Bad example because Sean and Corey are a vital relationship, and Sean feeds Corey as much as. Sean feeds right. Corey's soul as much as well, Corey but, feeds Sean's soul. You know, I think that's a very parallel relationship. You know, yeah. the, the Sean and Corey and the uh, Chris and Gordy. And I think what they both get out of it, what Corey gets from Sean and what Gordy gets from Chris is that affirmation from this person um, that what they're doing matters or that they matter. Mm-hmm. In, and so they're kind of getting that affirmation they need that they're not getting from somewhere else. And I think, you know, Corey had a good home life, you know. Yeah. So he was getting it from elsewhere. But going back to Stand By Me, I feel like what Gordy's really gets out of his friendship with Chris is, you know, this sense that, like, the writing that his dad really doesn't care about, doesn't think is worth anything, Chris is there to say, that's a gift, you yeah. know, and that you are great at it, you yeah. know, and that you need to go for that. Yeah. And I think what I like about the movie, too, is that all of these friends, I mean, they pick on each other, but they don't pick on them in a way that's going to get at the core where it's beating down on them in a way that's, like, destroying their character. Right. Like, you see, they could have made fun of Teddy's dad. Yeah. But they never would. Right. And they all love Gordy's stories. Yeah. That gets... My favorite scene in the movie is the Barfarama scene. Like, it's such a stupid scene, but I just love it. Like, I love... Every time, it just does... It does exactly what... I wanted to do, which is it, it, it sort of shows this mentality of like, that is what a 12 a year old would write you yeah. know? <laughs> or tell at a campfire yeah. uh, to get a rise out of his buddies. But also it's actually filmed realistically enough to where you're like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a crazy scene. Like, yeah. and I get a little sick every time I watch yeah. it, you know, it's disgusting. It's a disgusting yeah. scene. <laughs> it's also, it also could be, you know, metaphorical the way the boys expect the ending to be better. Yeah. It's like, no, it's just, that's it. He just threw up on everybody. Yeah. That's and that's life. The curse of the writer, right? Sometimes you just get thrown up on. <laughs> like that's the way. Oh, and for listeners who didn't make the referential leap with us, we started talking about uh Boy Meets World. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The television program. I <laughs> um, should make that clear for other people who weren't so into TGIF. Which I I would die for that show. I still would. I've watched. I've watched All it recently. It? What are you referencing that I wouldn't be, shouldn't die for? There was a when moment, they go to college. There was a time later on where I feel There's like they actually they actually moved away from Corey and Sean and started talking a lot more about Eric. They did, yeah, and that got super right. annoying. Like, you're right. That character did not need to have <laughs> the place he had. He was just sort of like a, a, and he became like a cartoon. Yes. There's still some good episodes out of that. All right. I don't. I kind of stopped following it. Maybe I, mean, I should go yeah, back to when, it. Yeah, when when like Angela and their redheaded roommate, I can't remember her name. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's almost more about Corey and Topanga rather than Corey and Sean, right? And then Eric Poor and Sean and Jack. He might as well have been stabbed in the throat trying to break up a fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might as well have been. <laughs> I was bringing it back to stand. I got by. it. Yeah. I got it. I got it. For me, though, that show is The Wonder Years. Like, I stand behind that show 100%. And it's a very similar show, too, that I think also took a lot from Stand By Me. A lot, a lot, a lot more people would probably respect your Wonder Years. I'm fine with Boy Meets World, though. I'm not saying you. I'm not saying you. I'm saying people who haven't watched Boy Meets World critically in a long time, they would not understand why I love that show so much. (laughs) All right. It's a great show. Add it to the list. (laughs) 
Um, so your new rating stands four and a half. Um, yeah, it's hard though. I I don't know. What I mean, what do you think you should lean more towards? You know, like just. I don't feel like you've named a lot of things that yeah. you find wrong with it. Yeah, right. I, I I just might as well keep it at five. Why not? Yeah. Chris right. Wood. That's true. He'd tell me I should. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna keep it at four. <laughs> I still I still like it a lot. Yeah. Um, do but you, it didn't like blow me away. Yeah. Do you think if you would have seen it at a younger age, do you think you would have liked it even? I don't know. Hard to say. That's a very difficult thing to say. Would I have compared it to Boy Meets World and then liked it? Like, oh yeah, this is sort of like Corey and Sean. That's my language. Yeah. You might have compared it to Step by Step even. And (laughs) I could have. And then been like, this movie's not Step by Step. I don't like it. Step by Step. Where's Cody? (laughs) That's the Kiefer Sutherland character. (laughs) I guess so. He should have been funnier. (laughs) Would you put this in, uh, you know, because in our last episode, we were talking about Rob Reiner. And yeah. where this fits in his camp, you think it's one of his better movies? Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. I I can't imagine what people would have thought of Rob Reiner as a director in the eighties. Like this guy's going to the top. Yeah, this guy. It's pretty Spinal much Tap, Stand by Me, Princess Bride, right? And then it's When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's. I'm pretty sure it's the yeah, order. That guy ran the eighties, and they're all different. So different. So he seems like he'd be. A, yeah, I kind of am coming to the conclusion that he might be a guy who just kind of fizzled out like like i don't know some good stuff do you think i don't know i don't know if i have faith that he still has it in him even anymore no like that i don't even think he would go for it yeah like i don't think he would even try for something as unique as stand by me or spinal tap yeah one interesting fact that i didn't know about rob reiner though he created castle rock entertainment oh really castle rock is the town in stand by me and that's where the name comes from a little factoid yeah that's kind of fun. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I do. I definitely will not be like Rob Reiner movie. Yeah, I'll see it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you were living in like if you were a movie going yeah. person in the 80s, oh, yeah. you'd see everything he made. Of course. Because it was gold. Yeah. You know? like I can't miss. Seriously. I mean, I mean, when Harry met Sally, I'm kind of lukewarm on. But like, I actually haven't seen it. But I know it's, uh, you know, kind of upper echelon rom com. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think a, a like Stand By Me did for the coming of age movie when Harry Met Sally kind of did that for romantic comedies. Yeah. And then Spinal and Tap Ryan. did that for, I mean, mo- he created pretty much mockumentaries, you yeah. know. Didn't really catch on until Christopher Guest. Right, late 90s, but just completely unique stuff. But not anymore. So, <laughs> RIP Rob Reiner's career. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> I'm going to keep mine at a five. You're going to keep it a four, it that's a fine, four, but yeah. I, I feel we can be best buds on our scale of, yeah. uh, you know, oh, for sure. best buds, mutual understanding, yeah. and it's complicated. Right. Hey, I've, I've got an idea. The next time a Rob Reiner movie comes out, instead of asking if anybody wants to go see whatever the title of it is, you should just say, you want to see a dead body? <laughs> so, that, that is what you should do. And... I give it. I give it five percent chance they'll they'll make all they'll connect all the dots to figure out what you were talking about. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? The new Rob Reiner movie. 
Why did you ask me? Oh, it's a Rob Ryder movie. He directed Stand By Me. That movie is based on Stephen. Uh, the body. They go find a body in the go movie. Go find a dead body. Yeah, Rob Reiner's career is dead. <laughs> Keep up. That'll be our joke and our listeners' joke. Yeah. You guys like can use it. that joke. Yeah. We on the house. We're all, when it comes to jokes, we are open source. We are. Yes. Everything else. You should be paying for this content. Public domain. All right. Well, uh, that's that. That's good. I feel good here. <laughs> why don't we go ahead and talk about what? I have uh, no regrets. What, <laughs> good. Let's talk about what we're going to discuss in our next episode. All right. Yeah. So uh, we were looking at what's coming out in theaters. There's a remake of The Magnificent Seven coming out. A heck of a cast in this thing. Denzel too. Washington, Chris Pratt, uh, Ethan Hawke, Vincent okay. D'Onofrio. Wow. Yeah, Peter if Sarsgaard. Were, if um, this were 2005, people would be very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> and so, not ones to stretch too far for a connection to a movie. <laughs> we're going to do the original Magnificent Seven from 1960, not the 1998 to 2000 television program, The Magnificent Seven. Which we know so many of you are probably assuming yeah, that's what everybody it was we were talking about. Magnificent yeah. Seven. I've got the DVD box set. Well, no, not, <laughs> not that, that one. one. <laughs> the Yule Brenner, Steve McQueen. Directed by John Sturgis. Right. Richard Branson. Bronson. Charles Bronson? Yeah. Charles Bronson. Richard Branson. Is he the, the virgin, like he's the millionaire, billionaire guy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not him. Not that guy. <laughs> Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson. Oh, man. I've never seen it. Nate has. Yeah. We're, we're checking off a lot of we're your... We're doing this. Your, Thank you. Yeah. Your 2C list. Yeah. Um, so I have no idea what to expect. I, I expect maybe horses? Uh, most likely. I do remember horses. Okay. I also remember... Now, the horses aren't part of the seven. No. Okay. Well, but the seven have horses. Okay. So I guess they could have made a spinoff movie that's just The Magnificent Seven, the but Magnificent it really, seven, really seven. focuses on the horses. Okay. Well, I may not like this movie as much as I thought I would. Because you thought it was thought about it horses. thought it was real horse-centric. Mm. Um, <laughs> horse-centric? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry to bum you out about that, but yeah. I mean, th- I don't know why you thought horse-centric, because there's not very many westerns that are, but... No, I just remember people saying that the game changed with Magnificent Seven, and I kind of thought... That's how you thought the game changed. It's about horses, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So we will discuss uh, Magnificent Seven next, and I'm excited to rewatch it. Uh, were you planning on seeing the new one? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me it was one of those, like, I'll wait and see, you know, yeah, like we'll what, see. You know what the response is. Not that I really base all movies I see on the critics, but there are some right. that I'm on the fence about, and I'm kind of like... If everyone's saying this is terrible, I'm not going to really bother, you know, or at least wait till it comes out on DVD, Blu-ray. But I I do like the original Magnificent Seven, so I think it'll be a really interesting conversation. And we actually haven't done, to the best of my knowledge, we haven't done a Western. Western. I don't think so. So that'll be interesting. You get to hear us talk about Westerns. You like Westerns? Horses, yeah. You love (laughs) horse-centric Westerns, of which there's not many, but... uh, No, not enough. That's Hollywood for you, though. It is. It, you know, they just find what sells, and they keep just ma- remaking the same movies over yeah. and over again, never right. thinking about... And the horses just the, don't break through. ...the possibilities. Well, there's not much of a horse audience. Well, I find it interesting that you're so horse-centric, and you don't really like Seabiscuit all that much as a movie. That's... That, it's I in don't the title. Like, I don't like Seabiscuit as a horse. That's why I don't like Seabiscuit as oh. a movie. 
you're like, that's the movie they decide to make about right. a horse. That's the horse. Sea, that's the horse. Sea biscuit. Right. Ridiculous. It, yeah. <laughs> Magnificent Seven. It is. <laughs> Watch it with us. I'm sure. I didn't look to see if it's streaming anywhere, but if it's not, grab it at your library. Um, I'm sure they'll have it. Your local library. Yeah. And uh, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Um, you know, were you planning on seeing the new Magnificent Seven? If you would like to, uh, you know, chime in a little bit, or maybe talk a little bit about uh, Stand by Me, or what your mm-hmm. thoughts are on uh, what we had to say in this episode. Uh, you know how to get in contact with us, but yep. we're gonna ring it off anyways, and just uh, tell yep. you all the different ways. You got Twitter. At CWSBF. Mm-hmm. We got Facebook. Just mm-hmm. search Can We Still Be Friends mm-hmm. with a question mark. Maybe podcast. Toss that mm-hmm. word in there. It helps. Uh, website Can We Still Be Friends.net. Email feedback at Can We Still Be Friends.net. Yep. And because we're constantly on the verge of cutting edge technology, we've got voicemail. We do. You can leave us a voicemail message with your telephone. It's like email, but with your voice. Right. And you have to use numbers to tap into it. Yep. And those numbers are 847-306-9532. So you pull out your smartphone. In that order. Yeah, you got to put them in that order. 847-306-9532. You just type those numbers in, tap those numbers into your smartphone, mm-hmm. hit the send button. Yep. And you do have to wait for it to ring. I think at least once. Yeah, there will be an indicator for when you should talk. And, and the, yeah, you'll know. Then you you'll talk. know. Just, you're, you're tech savvy, folks. Yeah. And right. you can leave us a friendly voicemail um, just letting us know your thoughts. And we'd love to hear from you. It doesn't have to be friendly, but it has to be cordial. And formal. Polite, yeah. If it's not friendly, it has to be formal. It can be informal if it's friendly. But I'm glad we finally spelled that out for people. because The rubric is on our website rubric yeah it's a pdf you can download yeah can we still be friends.net slash rubric yeah just look that over and then enter those numbers in that order and leave us a voicemail and we'll uh maybe put it on put it on the episode well, if it right passes it, the rubric we will yeah if it doesn't then yeah. you should have read the rubric yeah so uh we just want to thank you very much for listening to this episode episode 43 stand by me and, um, you know, we also want to encourage you, if you don't mind, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to, you know, share it with your friends. Tell them that you're listening to this podcast of these two guys. And they and somehow they ramble, they the somehow ramble through for close to an hour, and I don't turn it off for some reason. And uh, do that, and then maybe even, you know, leave us a good rating on iTunes, because actually that's, that's one of the best things you can do to support us. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>